Welcome to Bookmarked, a podcast about the books worth pausing over with hosts Anna and Kaylee. And today we are joined by our dear friend Courtney to discuss our dream college courses. Courtney, can you just give us a general about you? Tell us about where you live, um, your current job, things you like to do, hobbies. Give us the whole spiel. (laughs) Yes, well, hello. Well, first of all, super excited to be here. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller. Um, but, um, yeah, so went to Baylor, like the both of you, and, um, after I graduated from Baylor, spent a year working there, and then moved out to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2017, where I got a master's degree in higher education administration, learning about, you know, college students and how colleges work. Um, And then after that, after graduating, I stayed in Raleigh, where I still work at NC State. Um, I work with international students and scholars at NC State, doing a lot of immigration advising, also advising about navigating the university and cultural adjustment and things like that. Awesome. Yeah, so we thought Courtney was the perfect guest for talking about Um, college courses because obviously she loves school and she is involved in the um, university setting. So Courtney, do you want to tell us a little bit about the unique um, program you were involved in at Baylor and maybe some of the courses you enjoyed as part of that program? Yeah, so um, I was part of the Baylor Interdisciplinary Corps at Baylor. It's part of the Honors College. Um, one of the four programs there. And the cool thing about the BIC um, is that instead of picking like individual courses for English and history and political science and religion, all of those general education requirements, you um, take them in different sequences of courses, kind of all thrown together and then fit back out. So we had world culture sequences, world rhetoric sequences, social world sequences, taught by faculty all across the university. And um, learning in an interdisciplinary format is really fun and exciting and like the only way I can think about the world now. Um, you know, what does philosophy have to say about this? History, English, religion, all of that sort of thing. And so um, definitely when coming to our topic today, I could basically thought like, well, if I could design a big course, what would I do? Um, <laughs> thinking about pulling from different disciplines. Um, And so some of my favorite courses in college were big courses. I was a linguistics major, which was really fun. Got to take a lot of interesting classes about how language works and different language classes. But some of my most transformational courses I took um, were in the big. Um, One of my favorite courses of all time uh, was called The Once and Future King, and it was my capstone course. And we read books about, um, and excerpts from the Bible about King David and Jesus, but then also some books about King Arthur. And we compared those three different, you know, monumental stories. And we also talked mm. about, um, you know, what, what's life after Baylor? What's how you move through your life as a long time learner, sifting through different ideas. And so, 
yeah, so this course, it was all about learning both about how these foundational stories of our of our culture influence our lives, both in the past and now, but also how do you move on from Baylor and, you know, move into adulthood, taking mm-hmm. the lessons that you learned from college and continuing a journey of personal learning and personal development. And it was great. We also read Letters to a Young Poet, my favorite book of all time. Um, oh. And it was just a great experience um, in a classroom um, learning in a community. And so definitely thought a lot about like a capstone kind of experience in planning my course for later on too. Mm -hmm. Um, But just love thinking about a course in a way that it's not just learning a topic, but is thinking about how does this affect me Mm -hmm. and who I am and how I'm growing. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the like capstone feature. And I think, Kaylee, you probably took some of those at Baylor as well under your major. Um, I didn't really do that, but I like that idea of like capping things off, but also not just like capping it off, but you're pushed into like lifelong learning and lifelong like thinking about your identity. So um, that kind of leads us into our next question. You worked for the BIC for a year after um graduating under less than favorable circumstances we might add but we might get to that later uh but then you just kept learning you went on to get your master's and so we just want to know what do you love about higher education you can talk specifically about your work with international students or you can talk about just college campus life um what is it that you love so much that makes you want to stay in higher education yeah i think i think it's interesting because so i decided to to pursue a whole degree in higher education. And you only really do that if you had a good experience, right? Um, Most of the time people pursue a degree like mine because they were student leaders um, or just were really involved in college. But what you find, you know, working with college students, you're kind of working with two different populations. You're working with the the, lots of the student leaders and the ones who are super involved. And then uh, also a lot of times with the students who are struggling the most. And so Mm -hmm. it's a really, it was learning about college and how it works, kind of the nitty gritty made me realize that I was really fortunate with a lot of my college experiences to have experiences like the BIC, um, like um, the residence hall I lived on campus. So I think a lot of what I loved about college, I I just recognize that it's not the same for everyone. Mm. Um, The fact that I didn't have to work my first two years, um, was able to study what I really wanted to. I wasn't forced to study a particular discipline, was able to study abroad. Um, So recognizing that not all of that is the same for everyone, but... At the end of the day, what I love about higher education is learning in a community mm. and setting aside time to ask big questions 
um, and to think through them, not just um, reading and writing, but in conversation and having that be sustained. I think so much of the time I learn things now, I'll like listen to a podcast and then, you know, be like, oh, that was interesting and move on with my day. Mm. Um, as much as it is, you know, no one, well, some people love writing papers, but writing papers is hard work, <laughs> but it, it really makes you think and it really makes you wrestle with what you're learning with. Um, and so I think that's the greatness of higher education is being able to meet people who are different than you, um, work with professors who have been studying for a really long time and glean knowledge from them. But I think, you know, so much of learning happens outside of the classroom and that's the community that you're with. And so if I were to say what's great about higher education, it's, you know, the people that you're learning alongside with. And so lucky that you two were part of that for my mm. college experience. And, you know, this is, it just shows how it produces lifelong connection. Oh, all the feels. Wow. <laughs> We're all going back to college this year. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love that. That was so well put, Courtney. And um, yeah, really inspiring, actually. Um, so last question before we jump into our um, dream college course descriptions. Um, can you give us just a little sense of kind of what your reading looks like um, now that you are not a full-time student, although obviously you're still working in the university world. But, um, and I guess this would honestly, I would kind of like to hear um, how you've transitioned into fun reading after having so much required reading, um, because I know that was definitely um, a journey for me. So um, yeah, just tell us what types of books you like to read and if you had any trouble kind of seeing reading as an enjoyable activity or, or if you see reading as more of a, opportunity to learn rather than something that's just like a fun pastime. Yeah. I think, so the year after I graduated and I was just working, I read a ton and I read anything I wanted to read and it was great. And then I went back to grad school. So then I had another two years where I was like, not really reading what I wanted to read. And then this past year kind of um, went back to the, I can read whatever I want. And the two experiences have been kind of different mm. um in that I think I'm a, a really impatient reader now and this is kind of me um admitting that I think my attention span has just gotten shorter um when there's so many things you could listen to a podcast watch a Netflix show all that sort of thing um I think my attention span has kind of gotten shorter so I'll pick up a book and say I feel like I got the gist of this book by reading the first chapter and then I skipped the last <laughs> chapter and I was like, mm, this could have been a blog um, or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I think I'm trying to get back more into fiction because I, I tend to read more nonfiction than fiction. Um, I, I actually was listening to I think it was your first episode and Kaylee you were kind of talking about you know kind of trying to break out of this idea of reading only classics um, mm, yes which I think I was kind of raised with too and I'm still trying to you know break into more 
just popular fiction, literary fiction, um, just reading a book for enjoyment. And so, yeah, I, I think now, especially in this um, current time we're in, I've been trying to branch out into more ways and I've actually gotten more into audiobooks recently, which have been really fun and I can just listen and knit or go on a walk. And so I've been kind of branching more out into that. Well, that's fun. I love that. Um, and Courtney, do you gravitate towards particular, would you say you have like a, a certain genre that's like always your go-to um, these days? I'm always down for a good spiritual memoir. Oh, yeah. I read a lot of those. Um, love a good food memoir, too. Yes. Um, I, I, I like reading just kind of interesting books about science or pop culture those things too as part in terms of um fiction um i can't go wrong with a, a good old mystery mm-hmm. um louise penny or agatha christie sort of deal so those are kind of my like the the comfort grooves i've got going on yes um, but i'll pick up anything random you know see if i like it or not excellent great um, I love that. Yeah. And I think, like you said before, Kaylee, she's just the perfect guest for this episode because of your experiences and also because you have these different interests than we do. Like when looking at your book list, it's just so exciting. Like I probably wouldn't have wanted to take that, but now I want to take it, especially if Dr. Clobber is teaching um, (laughs) this course or Master Clobber, I might call her. Oh, yeah. I I definitely think... I I learned a lot of, about what uh, how college works, and I think what I learned actually was that a lot of what experiences um, that you had at Baylor were kind of among like best practices. So of things so I was taking these classes about like what are good ways to engage students and um, all that and I was like I got that at Baylor got that at Baylor so I feel really lucky that our college experience and my college experience um, kind of already did what that I then learned about was a really good way to do college later on so (laughs) I'm excited to talk about these classes with y'all Yay. Awesome. Well, to start out, um, well, both of you guys have master's degrees, so you're like on the road to being professors yourself. Um, but we're trying to, you know, get into the mind of, of a professor um, as we're choosing these book lists. So before we actually go into describing our classes, um, we just wanted to give our listeners a little bit of insight into um, kind of our thought process in picking um, the books and picking our topics. Um, so I guess maybe Anna, I'll start with you, Anna, what do you think a professor should or, or usually does consider when choosing the books for, for a particular class? Um, yeah, I think a couple of things come to mind. First, something that Courtney mentioned earlier when we were talking was like, what kind of course is this? Um, there's different books that you would choose for a history or a literature or 
an interdisciplinary class. And so that would be the first consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, second, I think is like more of like a, if it's an English class, which um, obviously mine's going to be an English class today <laughs> is like what thematically or topically do I want to explore? Um, and so sometimes that comes in the form of like, um, you know, a time period or, um, a certain topic that all these books explore. Um, but I think also like a big question, um, and that's kind of how we like frame like lesson planning and unit planning, even in like middle school is like, what's the essential question? What's the essential understanding that students are going to get, um, by the time they finish reading these books. And then last, um, for me, when I think about what they should explore, um, even though I think the canon is so, so important and that everybody deserves to read and understand and question the canon, we also just need to amplify um, diverse voices and read books that are not being read as part of the canon. So I think that those three things are what comes into um, planning a course for me. Mm. Really well put. Courtney, what would you add? Yeah, I think there's so much that goes into choosing a book and it really does depend on discipline. I remember whenever I was in college and a book was on the book list that was more of a book published for popular audiences and not academic audiences. I was always so excited, Um, usually because it was cheaper. Um, (laughs) I think professors really should think about the cost of textbooks um, or obscure academic books that are out of print or something like that um, because it's just textbooks can be so expensive. Um, But yeah, books that I felt like I could then talk about with other people in the world too, or even books that were just easier to hold. (laughs) I hated reading out of textbooks and I just loved when I had a a nice paperback that I could go read at a coffee shop or something (laughs) like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I always appreciated when there was more books geared towards popular audiences because I, I, there's so much wonderful academic scholarship that goes on out there. Um, but sometimes I think that if we just show up at a class and just read academic scholarship, then we aren't given the tools to then take that out into the world and use it but if you get a great book that is informed by scholarship but written for a popular audience it helps students kind of then make those connections themselves too yeah I totally agree with that Courtney and I love how you're thinking about the physical nature of a book too even just like the weight of a book and how much it costs because I think that's a really valid part of thinking about books and not one that my mind usually jumps to but I love that you added that perspective Um, And going off what you were saying about books written for popular audiences or just books that are more accessible. I mean, I think that's the the best um, academics are the ones that are able to communicate in a way that is accessible to a lot of people, because that's part of, I think, the the process of of distilling your ideas is um, coming up with this, you know, amazing, thought provoking, whatever thesis in answer to what makes us human, which is, of course, the favorite question of the great text crowd to ponder and think about. Um, But when you're able to answer that question in a way that is engaging to people outside of the academic world and and that um, actually 
kind of what you're talking about with your King Arthur class, Courtney, is allows you to engage in discussions in class about your real life and not just living in the world of like trying, I guess, because well, I really appreciate um, trying to understand an author's perspective, you know, the, the history behind um, the time period they're writing in or the author's own biography. Like I definitely appreciate thinking about that. Um, and and it, that's part of what um, I guess dictated the choices I made for my own book list is thinking about the authors themselves and sort of their perspective and their background. Um, but I think it's really important for the professor to kind of guide that conversation from, okay, here's what the author's saying and we're trying to understand that. Now let's put that into conversation with our own lives. Um, and I guess that's sort of how I think of a class in general, like you were saying, Anna, thinking of a central question um, that all of the books that you choose are trying to answer. And um, I would hope that, you know, maybe the book that you start with in your book list is going to be one that kind of lays the foundation for that conversation. And maybe is, is a book that poses questions or themes um, that you go back to throughout the course. Um, or I suppose if you're thinking more chronologically, and I think a lot of my courses, especially in the English department were, um, were framed chronologically as far as like which book we read first and which book we read last. But I think the courses that I remember most vividly um, were more, they were arranged more thematically and, um, and really that conversation element was emphasized. And one of my favorite, I guess it wasn't my favorite class, but one of my favorite papers I wrote was um, in a class um, with Dr. Alan Jacobs, who's written some cool books on literary theory, but he had us, we were reading philosophers in that class, but he had us put some different philosophers in into conversation with each other in a paper. And so we basically wrote a dialogue, um, kind of like a script um, with two of the philosophers we have read talking to each other um and that was just really thought-provoking and interesting that's kind of nerdy but <laughs> it was really it was a cool way to think about different books talking to each other such a great text thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure well are we ready to get into our book list yes i know our listeners are reading with beta <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess I am starting. Um, the title of my class is called Contemporary Fiction Reading Through Diverse Voices. Um, and while the title is kind of self-explanatory, I do want to talk through it a little bit and um, just be honest that it really was born out of first the desire just to teach one of my favorite books that I've read in the last five years or so is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Um, and even though I just really want to teach this gorgeous book that has so much to offer in terms of reading and critical and literary theories, um, as I started compiling my list, I was thinking of different authors who seemed like they went along with Whitehead, um, but also offered some different things. And so basically the essential question or purpose of this class would be to answer the big question, why do we read contemporary fiction and how does that reading of contemporary fiction shape us as readers, um, A, who think about cultural and racial and class issues, um, and B, can we still read the tomes, can we still read the classical text, and can we still read contemporary fiction and bring that all together as critical readers? Um, so those 
the general overview of my class. Um, when it comes down to it, the books that I chose, A, are The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Um, and I think this one, along with my second book, would kind of form up the first kind of unit of a class where we would talk really about how history is being handled through contemporary fiction. I think it's a very popular genre. Historical fiction is a fun genre, but it can also be a very serious one. Um, and so I think I've talked about this one on the pod before, but Colson Whitehead in this book uh, creates a universe in which the, the Underground Railroad, the way in which slaves escaped slavery in the South, was an actual physical railroad. Um, and it's just an incredibly captivating and well-written book. Um, but I, one of the more important things as I continue to think on it in the years since I've read it is just how he really went into history and found that there were different types of slavery in each state um, and that there was different, the, the projection of it as it went on for years and years and years. Um, and so as we would read this book, um, probably be the first book that we read, we would think about why is he writing about this history and how does its publishing by an author of color in 2016 affect how we read that history? So how are we thinking about slavery now? that he's written in this perspective um, and why did he write it that way? So we think both about the style that he's reading, writing it in and the, the subject that he chose. Um, along with that kind of history theme and how it's being written about, um, I would also want to read Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. Um, so first, when we're talking about Jacqueline Woodson, she's also a female author of color. Um, I would want to first analyze her style and readership um, she is a famous author who has written a lot of young adult fiction books that are very famous. She kind of, with along with Walter Dean Myers, like really broke into that industry of writing young adult fiction for readers of color. And so she's just very important in that. But this is her most recent book. I believe it was just published in 2018 or 2019. Um, and so I would like to talk about if any of my students had read that how this differs from the styles that she's done before um, in the book she's following one main character um, a younger woman who is she's grown up in kind of a, a family where her, her parents aren't together anymore but she's about to go off to college and so it's going back through generations of her family and and seeing where she comes from um, and that history. And so it's a very, again, beautifully written, very lyrically written. And so I would, in terms of history there, she touches on the different kinds of black culture throughout the U.S. because she, this young woman is living in New York and her family has been living in New York for a little bit, but her father's family comes from more down south on the coast. Her mother's family comes from Tulsa and she, um, dips into the Tulsa riots of uh, 1921, I believe, um, which is something that a lot of us are just learning about now in the current culture. And so I want to, I would want to read through that lens of how is reading about it through a narrative in this way more um, important or less important than reading about it through articles? Um, and so how is her handling of that story really different from reading an article in, of, of that history? And also um, how this young woman's history as she's going off into college, how it's affecting how she's acting today, um, both from her family um, and just how important it is to read that from a female woman of color. That was redundant. <laughs> uh, 
next, um, uh, the next unit that I kind of would do with mine is to move on to a book called Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Um, she's an Asian American writer. She has a couple of books out, but this book, um, takes place in the 1990s, 2000. So as we build on that, um, knowledge about history and how contemporary fiction writers today are covering, um, particularly black history, um, in the United States, I would want to think about how the more, I guess, contemporary history that uh, Celeste Ng is covering in this book, it takes place, like I said, in the 1990s to the 2000s, um, and takes place in a small town called Shaker Heights, Ohio, and basically there's just this interpersonal drama between two families, um, and as we would read what is a very captivating, again, I'm going to use that word a lot because I think contempor- that's just one word to describe contemporary fiction is just captivating. It's exciting. Um, a mystery about these families. I think she also does a great job of just like hinting and giving us little, um, little sprinkles of that history. And so part of what I'd want to do in this unit is kind of compare her writing in the book to the TV show that just came out and think, are these characters what we expected them to be? Is her writing really coming through in the ways that um, Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon are acting them out? Um, And how are the issues that she covers in the book that we will have talked about, how are they represented in the TV show? Um, And I also am just very interested in this time period and how it's covered in modern TV shows as well, so maybe we'd watch Vice as well um, about Dick Cheney because that just reveals so much history and it is so important. Um, And just answer the question basically in this short unit, when we read and watch this now, only, you know, two, three decades out of this history, how does it shape our view of history? Because we were so young um, when things like 9-11 happened, when someone like Bill Clinton was president and probably the students that I would have wouldn't be a lot, wouldn't have been alive during that time. Um, but how does it shape our view of the history and does it even feel like history? Some of the things that are covered in little fires everywhere really feel like they could have happened yesterday, um, in terms of some of the discrimination that the characters are facing and the issues that the kids are facing at school as well. Um, and then finally with my last movement and my last unit, I would want to cover two authors who are foreign authors whose works are translated into English. Um, the first one is called Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. I've talked about him a lot as well, one of my other favorite contemporary authors. Um, and this book has a follow up, Us Against You, as well. And these two books are just really well written, they're just incredible. Um, they're set in a small town in Sweden that's on economic downturn and this town is just completely centered on the hockey team Um, and it's Bear Town against everybody Um, and Bear Town is the name of the town and their their hockey team is the center of this town and so what happens when um, and this is on the flap so I'm not giving any spoilers but how do towns like this that are so centered on the the sports and the culture of this town how they deal with things like sexual assault Um, the loyalties between families and neighborhoods and the team um, and people with less than traditional identities that have somehow, you know, kind of um, Tupac-like grown like a rose out of concrete. How are are these people dealt with in this kind of culture? 
Um, and I think that's kind of the overall question that I'd ask in this last movement for my students to answer is, what do they communicate about what is valuable in their respective countries? Um, and in this one with the small town and the hockey team with, you know, the exception of it being hockey, how is this different than the U.S. and those small towns that value um, high school, vo uh, not volleyball, high school football or basketball? Um, and the last one with this particular book is how does he, how does his style, this quick read, this really exciting and engaging read help or harm us when we're thinking about those issues at hand? Are we more willing to stop and think about it if we're just wanting to get to the next point or are we wanting to slow down and think about it just because it's so exciting and engaging uh, and the last book that I would want to cover um, is another translated book uh, it's called My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante uh, Elena Ferrante is a pseudonym we don't know for sure um, who this person is he or she I probably will refer to her as a she um, from here on out but um, Italian and so she's she's written these a lot of books but this series of four books has also been turned into a TV series but it's set in Naples Italy it takes a place over several decades of these two women's lives um, and it's more set in the past than Town is it is uh, over the course like I said of sec several decades so they're they're going through different political movements and cultural movements and through the four books, she really just, she in depth goes into all of these issues. We'd only read the first one, but some of the things that she covers are education, female friendship, ambition, gender roles, love, jealousy, lots of um, exciting topics. Um, but things that I want to answer in this, in this movement are how is the translation affecting our understanding of this? What do we know about Naples, Italy in the 1940s? not very much. Um, and so are we putting our own contemporary lens on it um, since she's writing it from a contemporary writer's point of view? Um, and also what does she communicate specifically about the cultural and the political setting of the book? Um, so that was a lot, but overall the question that we'd want to answer, like I said, is just why this style? What does it mean to be a reader in the contemporary version? Um, Actually, each of these books takes uh, different chapters and they have different perspectives. So I think that would be an interesting lens to view it through. Um, and the other big question is just that how are quote unquote popular novels important in shaping readers? Why should we read authors that look different from us um, and have different experiences? And um, overall, what is the author's experience in writing this way? Do they feel like they have to represent their culture um, or their race in a certain way? Or are they just writing from, from their perspective? So it's a big class with a lot of big questions, but I think it will be fun um, and could hopefully inspire a lot of really excited readers. Um, I love that, Anna. And I, I think it's fun that, well, obviously in your, your title, you focused in on contemporary fiction so I get I'm one of my many questions for you is what would you consider contemporary is that like last five years last 20 years did you have like a um a boundary line um in your mind when you were picking these books um I think in the last 10 years um I really was just thinking about like how can we there are plenty and I feel like <laughs> 
honestly like the the 80s 90s early 2000s are kind of like ignored years of literature because I feel like literature is like really coming up these days um or maybe I'm just more involved in in contemporary fiction (laughs) but just thinking about how can we not do old books how can we do like new books that maybe are not like brand new but they're um they're newish I guess yeah okay that makes sense would you say Anna in your experience so you did an English degree and so you were um what would you say you know if a student were just to kind of go through an English degree and not seek out maybe more diverse classes what a kind of what a student might be exposed to and you know, do you think that's sufficient? Do you think English departments should be doing more? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question because it really, uh, when I think about the English degree at Baylor, there was there was some opportunity, I think, to enter into some of these like diverse classes, but not as much as maybe I would want as a person now. Um, and I think it kind of had to do with just like, there is a big emphasis on British literature because that's such a huge part of the canon. I mean, we didn't even, there was not really like an Asian American or Asian literature or Greek, you know, like even going that far back, that was not really what the the English degree was about. So um, I think some of the more diverse texts I read were, or texts from diverse authors were, in like Southern literature classes um, because they included authors like um, Ernst Gaines and Edora Welty. And those were more on the short story side than the the novel side. Um, and so I think it really, I think to answer your question, it kind of depends on the department, um, like the, like what's the focus. And, and I think, you know, that may be just kind of a failing of like general, English departments is that they're not as like um, globalized they're not as international a lot of times they are really focused on the canon and the British literature and the American literature that's like led us up to today Um, but there were some like I said the the southern lit classes that I took included some authors of color but I think the other one that more exposed me like contemporary fiction and that uh diverse way was a like a narrative class so we um it was about like the novel and the like how does a story and so we started at Don Quixote and then we we read a magical realism text and then we read um a Jonathan Saffron Foer text and we read Ian McEwan so it was more um we kind of studied it over time but it had um some more popular um contemporary fiction in it as well friends um thank you for joining us today and listening this is anna again you've heard a lot from me today and so i'm sure you are eager to hear about kaylee's class and her picks as well as courtney's our wonderful guest so please tune in next week for our continuation episode of our favorite college courses and happy reading have a great week